Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, Art of War family. Welcome back to the podcast. We are so excited to have one of our, well, I think it might be our first GT winner of 9th edition on the show. Dan Sammons is joining us, fresh off his win at the Flying Monkey GT. Uh, joining me, as always, on the podcast is my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction. He's one of the best players in the history of 40K. He's here to help us break down the discussion. Um, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce Dan? Uh, actually, maybe I should introduce Dan. I probably know him better than you do. But <laughs> go ahead and introduce Dan, and then uh, we'll get started with the discussion. Yeah, so Dan is coming from the background of Competitive War Machine, for those of you who have dabbled in that game or are aware of it. Um, and now he's rocketing off in the early ninth edition here. He won um, a smaller GT, I believe, in Missouri, was it? No, they were both. Uh, that was in Wichita as well. Oh, okay. So... Yeah, he won a smaller GT early this season, or in ninth edition, I should say, with Sisters and Iron Hands, and then came out strong at the Flying Monkey, which was our first major event, as John put it, over 70 people. It's really cool in these COVID times, uh, dominating that scene with his Salamanders. So a bit of a departure from the set from the Sisters. But we're here today to talk about that and figure out how his Salamander list works and all that stuff. So Dan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, not a problem. Awesome. So do you have, uh, do you want to just walk, walk us through the list that you took to the Flying Monkey? Yeah, so kind of as a, a little caveat before that, so we did that GT a couple weeks, uh, the weekend ninth release actually. So the the big takeaway from that that kind of caused this list to, to be built was strategic reserves and just abusing that as much as possible. Uh, so <clears throat> the Salamander list though, uh, it's a Salamander successor with master artisans and long-range marksmen and then for it's just a single battalion um a bike smash captain with thunderhammer storm shield the uh, warlord trait for plus two toughness and then i buy the salamander relic for minus one to wound and then it has the new uh indominus lieutenant with the uh i can't remember the name of it but it's a salamander Special issue war gear for a six up feel no pain within six inches for models. And then it's three scout squads with combi melters on the sergeant, one sniper rifle because I had two points left over in one of the squads. Uh, then it is three blade guard veteran squads, uh, a three man aggressor squad with the uh, master crafted weapon on the sergeant, a six man aggressor squad, uh, flamers as well, and then a three man aggressor squad with bolters. And two Outrider squads, two Eradicator squads, a Grav Dev squad with a Combi Grav on the Sergeant, and a Drop Pod. And that's Great. The so is that list. all one battalion for you? Yeah, that was all one battalion. So it looks like you have all the Salamanders nuts and bolts there. Basically, you, you got your Aggressors that make amazing use of their always kind of stationary strat. Eradicators, Outriders, these are just good units from Indominus. What is the overall strategy here, though? Is it just like your units are efficient and you take them because Master Artisans is an amazing rule? Space Marines love their rerolls, or like, what's the strategy here? So it's it's partly that, yeah, partly just because everything is a threat. You know, even you know a Blade Guard unit, an Aggressor unit, an Outrider unit, everything in the army can do work, especially with the stratagems and 
everything tacked on that salamanders can do. Uh, but it's also just making use of the smaller board size combined with the objective placement. So I don't know if you guys have seen those maps people have put up where they've laid out on you know a single board where every objective for every scenario is. Uh, but I don't know, something like 70% of the objectives are in range of a, you know, a flamer aggressor when it comes on for st- from strategic reserves. So, yeah, that, and that's really powerful. You're really making use of the smaller table, like you said, to outflank your aggressors. And then just, I imagine he's the shoot twice strat or the kind of stationary strat to shoot twice and then maybe plus one to wound, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, they get the plus one to wound. The flamer guys get plus one to wound naturally on turn two. That's so, true. yeah. So they come on, and depending on what you're shooting at, you can double shoot them and max the shots and uh, use the strat to get a couple extra mortal wounds in there. So it is it is pretty brutal. They virtually kill about anything that is in, in range. So it seems to me that you're outflanking a lot of your aggressor squads, kind of, because you just said that. Is that Do you outflank all of them? Uh, is, what's the thought process behind making that decision? So just, just on what who you're playing against. So the only... The only unit that uh, was outflanked in every single game was the three-man aggressor squad. Um, that one I had flanked pretty much, I think, every single game. Um, the Eradicators were outflanked in most games, and then the rest of it was kind of matchup dependent on the board, if there wasn't any good places to hide and move up, or if my opponent's army was you know, more shooty-heavy than mine, then I would uh, outflank them. So when I played against like Custodes or the Blood Angel player who really didn't have much for long-range guns, then most of the army was on the board. But when I played against, you know, a Tau army or a Tyranid gunline army, stuff like that, that is when the, uh, the the heavy, heavy reserves came into play. Makes total sense, yeah. So you spent a lot of command points, it seems, before the game starts between all your relics, your warlord traits, and um, reserving stuff. How would you manage your CP in this list? So <clears throat> I start the game with 10 CP, and then on some of them, I spent four CP for strategic reserves. I think on at least three of my games, I spent that much. Uh, and it's really just, do I, you know, when, when I bring a unit on the board, do I, I got to make the decision, do I actually need to double shoot these guys? Or can I just get it done with a single shot? Or do I actually need the mortal wound strat? You know, and just trying to be as, you know, make sure the job gets done, but not not overkill. And that's that's kind of a, that's a little bit hard to manage because of of just how the the aggressors the flame aggressors work with their 2d6 shots so but it's just kind of uh knowing the quick math on on how things work so for example like the uh three-man aggressor squad with uh you know with the, the sergeant in there with the two damage flamer you know the if i come on and i'm in range of two vehicles i i, I know the math that you know if, if it's two admech vehicles and i if i pop the uh the, the double shoot ability to counter stationary and then pop the max shot strat on average, I should kill both of those. So it's just kind of, I did the, did a lot of the math ahead of time. So I kind of knew roughly what I would need to do to get just enough to push it over the edge. And with the most of the time though, usually it was just the one CP for double shoot and just hope it worked. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So do you ever use that strats like self-sacrifice in this army? I know because self-sacrifice needs uh, five models, and I think the only every every the only five model units in my armies basically were the uh, scout squads. If I ever deployed the six-man aggressor, it was always combat squatted to two three-mans. Um, so I 
basically didn't really have anybody to do it on, but I did use, uh, never get, so never really got to use that, but I did use the born protectors, uh, whenever it came up and that was extremely brutal when it worked. Why don't you walk us through born protectors? That's a strat that's really powerful, but I think very few people know about or understand. Yeah. So the way it works is your opponent declares a charge of something, uh, you, if if you have a, they declare a charge of a salamander unit, any other year of your other salamander units within 12 inches can use the Born Protector stratagem to shoot Overwatch at the target, and then afterwards make a 2d6 heroic intervention. Um, so if you, I, I think it was on the stream game where I did it twice against a Blood Angel player. So I, I had a basically set up so my flame aggressors had most of my, you know, each flank covered. So he brought his death company in and tried to charge around me to get to my eradicators. And I used that stratagem to kill them all before they made it in because of the auto hitting overwatch and it's two CP. So it's just very brutal. And on the later in that same game, he was, he was charging, you know, he was charging a unit that's probably 10 inches off to the side of the, of the uh, flamer aggressors, but he was, I was within 12 inches and he was within 11 inches of my flamers. So I just did it again and, killed them before they could run over and kill the blade garden. So it's a, it's a very situational strategy, but if you keep, you know, pay attention to your placement of, of your units, you can really maximize it against certain opponents. Wow. So that's really good with your chapter tactic of plus three inches on those flamers. Um, you know, a lot of people, they sort of really value that ignoring AP minus one, uh, in salamanders, but you know, you've kind of got the best of both worlds, obviously, uh, you know, choosing, Master Artisans is a no-brainer. It's the best tactic, I think, in Space Marines. We can argue about that if you want, but I think it is. Certainly the most efficient. And then you're really making good use of the plus three inches of range. Does that also like help you with like your eradicators and some of those other things? Sometimes those three inches can be sort of sneaky. Yeah, one one of my I definitely caught some of my opponents out where they would I would bring in the eradicators on and you know, they can come on six inches and shoot twenty-seven. So even if I have to do the long bomb shots, you know, they you basically can't hide from them. So it was uh, I caught my Tyranid opponent out of just about how long that actual threat range is. And he thought his Exocrine was safe and it was not. So, yeah, the Eradicators and Salamanders, I find, are super efficient, not just because that plus one to wound from your Doctrine, but uh, the rerolls that it gives you on the low volume of shots. And the fact that you shoot two instances, basically, lets you unit Sastra Artisans twice for them. It's so strong. Well, and one of the one of the good one of the guys here in the Midwest, he's a big spatial player, and he loves his Leviathan and his Rune Priest. So he's got the twenty four inch uh, storm cannons that can auspex scan you basically. Um, and so normal eradicators really can't do anything about that. But plus three inches means you can come on, make sure you're out of his Overwatch range, and still get the shots in. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think that. Yeah, I think I think those types of abilities are going to be more and more popular. So having a way to get around some of the you know the best you know that the leviathan for example in the space is probably the best you know choice for that uh whatever their aspect scan is called so it's got 24 inch range and if you can get get outside that you know you can you can work around it so um to your list you're you're running successors of course because you want that long range marks and but that means you're not taking adrax or vulcan which do synergize with your flamers that you're trying to pull off and your mills as you're trying to pull off was that a consideration at all for you? No, I I just wanted the I wanted to outflank the flamers, and the only way to get them to shoot is to be a successor. So I was I never really messed around with salamanders without the successor. 
it sounds like a large part of your game is kind of being MSU, multiple small units with like Outriders and Blade Guard and Eradicators kind of coming in all over the table through outflanks and just scoring your objectives. Not too much of your army was OBSEC. Was that an issue for you at all? Uh, it occasionally was an issue. Um, the majority, uh, you know, there's some people that at the tournament, for example, were running pretty heavy, like 12 chimeras or, or uh, pretty heavy on the transports. And I don't know how you want to describe things, you know, taking units that don't kill things. So generally my army, just because it was so kind of over the top killy in a lot of ways, you know, there'd be a few instances where I got screwed over by somebody OPSEC running onto objective and, and slowing me down for a turn, but it was more of just, oh, I'll just kill you next turn and, and then take it over, take it then. Yeah, it's like you were able to kill them before it was too late, basically. Yeah, the the killing power of the list. Most of my most of my games, the usually when I brought my reserves in on turn two or turn three, it was kind of over at that point because it just was so much firepower all over the board, picking up so much stuff. So, would you classify your list as sort of a beta strike list? Then, like you, you even probably don't mind going second at all with your list, right? No, no, I, I, I just assume I'm going second. So usually, in, in a lot of my games, um, I would just hide, you know, the blade guard and hide the outriders, hide the captain, and and kind of just hide as much as I could, and just kind of wait till turn two because if my opponent makes the mistake of being within, you know, 17 inches of the board, it's gonna go real bad. So. Yeah. So, do you did you know the terrain going into this event, or were you, was it just kind of a crapshoot? Like, obviously, you, it's nice to be able to hide, but how did you cope with that? I just kind of I just took a gamble and hoped it was going to be. Uh, I've been to the Flying Monkey Con before, so I kind of have a rough idea of what their train was, and I just kind of figured that they were going to. I I didn't expect to see that much more on each table, uh, but with a smaller table, it helps it seem a little more dense, and I think they ended up. Maybe they were a little heavier than normal, but it wasn't too much. So that's where, and, and a couple of my boards, they were definitely, uh, you know, I got a little lucky on on at least two of the boards I can think of where I had one or two spots to hide so I could, but those were the games where I wanted to strategic reserve pretty heavy. So it didn't, didn't end up hurting me too bad. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can play around this, but did you have any concern because of the smaller board size of people aggressively zoning you out? of the map so the one thing i've kind of noticed no one's really playing hordes for the most part at least around here and then because of the way the list building works now you know if somebody's taking a patrol or taking a uh uh, just just a single battalion they're not taking as many throwaway screening units so i i really i've got 11 tournament games in so far and i think my list uh has had the most screening units than of what you consider screening units than what I see most people bringing. So I wasn't too concerned about being zoned out. And you can always like read your opponent's list of table and decide, okay, they got a lot of trash I can just deploy here. Yeah. And like the, the outriders, for example, they, they were, I don't want to say they were bad, uh, but they didn't really do much for me, but they're, they're in the list for, you know, oh, somebody's got poxwalkers running up the side of the board trying to screen me out, or or guardsmen, or any of those little easier to kill units. I think that's that's why I brought the outriders. Um, that's their job, really, is to try to make sure they can go out turn one and and pick up some stuff, so that way I don't get screened out. Yeah. So, was there any changes after the event that you'd make to your list? Uh, I think so. I'm kind of tweaking it still. Uh, my I had the Indominus Lieutenant, 
um, he, I, he never even got attacked and he never, he just kind of chilled in the back lines a lot of the time. So I probably will look at dropping him down. Um, the other change I'm looking at making is, uh, the thunder hammer. Uh, I don't actually know if I need the thunder hammer, the smash captain, cause his job really isn't to kill things. Uh, his job is mostly just to touch stuff and do a little bit of damage and be annoying. So I might drop him down to like a power fist or something. And then the, we, we turned in our lists, I think on Thursday, uh, the, before the, before the event. And I think that Friday I was just rereading the stratagems and I noticed, so I took a combi grab on my Sergeant for my dev squad. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I noticed this, but the grav amp strat does not work on a combi grab. So I might drop that out and just, just try to, oh, yeah, cause it's, it's very, it's just, it works on whatever the gun and the, you know, the grav amplification thing, it, whatever the gun that the devs have is what the strat works on. But the flip side of that being is, you know, if you're coming down, if you're only getting one shot, you're, uh, you're getting the rerolls from the captain. You're rerolling ones or whatever, and then on your wound rolls, you are already rerolling all your wounds from Gravamp. So you have Master Artists to just reroll one of the the combi grav shots, and you just don't get to reroll the damage. Then, so it's still not bad. It's just not, uh, you know, plasma might be better, I think. So, yeah. but I think it's just it's just a. And then the other, only other change I'm thinking of making is potentially because I took uh, three flamer aggressors and then three bolter aggressors, then a six flamer aggressors. I'm going to toy around, even though I really, really, really like the flamer aggressors. Uh, there was a few instances where I wish I had a little bit extra range. So I might look at uh, doing something more with, you know, maybe dropping the six bolter or flamer aggressors for more bolter aggressors just to be able to reach out and, and touch stuff a little further away. Yeah, I'm genuinely shocked you went for all flamer aggressors or mostly flamer aggressors because that range, you do only have such a small sphere of influence. It's basically just whatever you hit when you show up on the table. And if you're getting screened, that sucks. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but the, uh, the one thing I really liked about the flame regressors, at least in a couple of my test games, uh, and granted my test games were against custodians and death guards. So they're, they were a little harder to kill than some of the armies I played, but the flame regressors getting the plus one to wound and melee as well. I just, I think that's hilarious. So I, uh, I like them a lot for, for that. Cause I've had, I had one go up and kill Mortarian when he was almost dead. But, but yeah, that's that's probably the biggest change is try to cut some of the the excess points that didn't seem to do much and just see about getting some stuff with a little more range and maybe even dropping in one outrider for something else. Um, but I'm still toying around with with what to do and and how to kill the how to kill salamanders basically because I think they're going to be pretty popular. You you could do the one responsible for making them popular out here. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean. Let's be honest. It was a salamander on salamander violence in the uh, in the final of the Flying Monkey GT, right? And I believe Alex Harrison has been terrorizing Europe with a, a different sort of sort of salamanders list. So mm -hmm. that just the, the that whole just trying to it was it was actually pretty funny because uh, you know my list relied pretty heavily on AP one and playing against salamanders. I got to feel that pain. So, but I think uh, I think there's there's some tweaks to be made to maybe make it a little more generic and on the on the chance that somebody brings more screening units uh something like bolter aggressors get around that a little better and i think you know i haven't i haven't finished running all the math and everything but you know even if, as long as you get the reroll ones in there i think it's probably uh pretty equivalent on damage even though you're not auto hitting so 
but I, I don't think I can get rid of the, uh, I, I just can't see myself getting rid of the three man flame regressor with the, uh, mastercrafted sergeant weapon because i had that uh that sergeant about that mastercrafted sergeant that's some cute tech there yeah that uh i think that sergeant i think i added it up and he killed about by himself killed about 1500 points of stuff over the weekend for a 40 point model in six games but uh it's just a flamer with now two damage why is it so good it's just it's just it's because you come on you can double shoot him you can max it so it's 24 auto hitting plus one to wound AP minus oh, one. increase that strat a lot? I, I sometimes, uh, but I more. It was kind of situation depending on what I was shooting at. I, I I would pop that strat just to just to maximize it. So if you if you pop the strat, uh, if you pop the plus one two, or excuse me, the uh, the double shoot and then the the max shots on average, that guy kills an admic tank by himself. He should do he should do twelve wounds to a T seven three up save. That is so cool. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so and then the and the ability to the double shoot um you know that that was actually that was one thing that i'm so and again it comes down to the lack of screens but you because you double shoot and if somebody does have screening units um this happened to me in one of my test games you bring the flamers on and you shoot once and they pick up things in range and then you can't shoot again so you really want to there the flamers are actually kind of funny because they they don't mind shooting the uh you know, they're flamers that can kill infantry, but they can also kill tanks. So the uh, that's kind of the, I don't know, that, that's the one unit I, I haven't been able to get off of yet. Because I think they're... Yeah, no, I think that's a really cool unit. Especially because, like, no one thinks the flamer aggressors is something that'll kill my tank. I'll screen with my <laughs> tank, you know? like Yeah, and it's it's just, it's very... And and they they were probably what I used the, uh, the Mortal Wound strat is on, which I think, well, that Mortal Wound strat, 2d6 shots, um, for every four up you get... Uh, it's a mortal wound capped at three wounds. You know, I use that a lot. And that uh, was the only thing on my list that can really use it is the flame regresses. Flame regresses. CP strat or one CP? One CP. Okay. So, yeah, basically just one CP is three mortals. Yeah. So, when I was playing against custodes or or I played against uh, some wraith seers and stuff like that, I would just I would pop that on every time on that guy. So, every turn just to be able to, that's one one free dead custodian guard every turn. It adds up quick. That's yep. really cool. Did you have trouble managing your auras playing this army? I'm trying to envision it on the table and like you have a six inch aura around this captain, you have a six inch aura around this tenant, and your army is outflanking all over the board. So what my plan was every single game, the lieutenant in some of my games, uh, he either just kind of stood with whatever aggressor st- stood on the board just to give him the feel no pain. Uh, in a couple of the games, he was also part of my strategic strategic reserve package. So he would just came on the flank behind the six man unit. Uh, but other than that, the captain. So every single, every single game, no matter what was my opponent did, the captain was moving out uh, 14 to to 20 inches on his bike, basically landing where the drop pod was going to come down. Uh, ideally, right, uh, right behind where the drop pod landed. That way, he had some protection from being shot for next turn. Uh, and then he would provide the aura of rerolling ones to the grav when they came in. So gotcha. the Basically, you just kind of managed it, essentially. Yeah, I just managed it, but I wasn't I wasn't built. So that's, I don't know if, I haven't, I looked at this after the first GT, and I haven't had a chance to really look at it this, this other GT, but the one thing we noticed after the, 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 the GT we did the weekend, the ninth came out, all the top lists, I think out of the top, I don't know, six or seven lists, only one list was relying heavily on a, you know, bubble or aura package. You know, most people... Uh, were 
you know, it was custodes or like my, uh, my sisters and my Imperial fist list was all able to spread out and cover the board and not rely on having to stay within six inches of a captain or six inches of whatever. So I don't, I tried been trying to build my list that don't rely too heavily on that type of, uh, that limit. So yeah, that's a really interesting point you brought up because the, the way the game plays now, especially the six objective missions, when there's objectives all around the table and you kind of need to be playing on the vast majority of them, maybe not controlling them all, but at least keeping your opponent honest when he's trying to control them too. Mm-hmm. Being able to spread out across those objectives really de-incentivizes you to stack up all these auras. Like that's part of the big problem with Iron Hands right now is they have no yep. ability to spread out. They're tied to this Pharaoh's Apothecary combo. Yep, and that's where some of the Death Guard lists, um, there the auras are a tiny bit bigger, but you know, you're building the spawn aura that have the the five up invul, which is which is great and it makes them hard to kill until they charge out of the aura and then their survivability about drops in half, I think. So yeah. it's and same thing with the um, the four up invul that uh, I don't know what ability is, but you can get the four up invul on the demon vehicles and death guard or or the uh, better entropy cannons, you know, all that's cool and all, but it you're you're leashing your units together, not able to just send them where they need to go and and get it done at that point. So no, that's exactly fair. We'll talk about Death Guard in depth in the next episode, but mm-hmm. pretty much every time we had anyone come on to talk about how they handle Death Guard, it's by spreading out and making them overstress their auras. Yep. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. So then that's and that's something I just tried to build the list to not rely on. And then and Master Artisans, I mean, Master Artisans helps that immensely. And, and to a point, Master Artisans, was, is, it almost felt like is in the list for the two units of aggressors are not aggressors, eradicators. Yeah, well, those yeah. are those are the units that make the best use of, it. you know, super low quantity shots, get to use it twice, super high quality. Mm-hmm. That's the best place for a Master Artisan reroll. But yeah, just in general, having MSU Space Marines like Blade Guard, Blade Guard, Outrider, Outrider, Eradicator, Eradicator, etc. All of every squad gets you across the across your army, probably twelve rerolls per turn, give or take. And that's oh yeah. You know, that's adds up real quick. Yep. And that's that's the the Master Artisans, that's why I like the the combi meltas on the scouts were actually uh surprisingly good. I mean I tried them once. I played one game with Salmanage myself and I tried uh combi melta scouts just to whatever it's ten points and it's Salamanders, they rolled an incredible amount of twos to hit twice. Yeah, mine, mine actually. I, like I said, they were surprised. I, they did fairly well for me over the weekend, and and one of the game uh, against the Eldar person I played against, they went. Uh, I think I can't remember if I went. I think I went first that game, but they, uh, yeah, I went first, and I said screw it and just move the scout units up. And one scout put uh, one, you know, rolled a five on a wave serpent, so it did four damage to him, and the other one went and shot a falcon and did six damage to it. So I was like, oh, that, that usually doesn't happen, but it uh, that's some much appreciated early damage. So right, right. and it, it helps. It, <clears throat> I guess it helped me in my mind justify Master Artisans more. Because if you if you do, I don't know, I don't know whether, whether true or not, I feel like there's a lot of AP3 rolling around. So, you know, 
weighing the stealthy versus master artisans kind of you i know i want master artisans but part of me wanted stealthy just to be a five up no i was actually going to ask were you considering stealthy or anything else instead of your successor so i'm glad we covered that yeah so that that was that was one of the and that and leaving the combi melt is in whether good or not at least to help me uh help me stick on master artisans and the the eradicators just it's insane how much better they are with that it's uh, it's night and day eradicators yeah. were three rolls versus not rerolls yeah i think i think my last opponent i think uh so he out against me he outflanked uh the eradicators with vulcan to get rerolls on him and but i don't think he re, I, I don't think he realized because we talked about it in the game that it's uh, shoot twice and every time you shoot master yeah, artists, twice yeah. yeah, so I don't I don't know if he's going to change up his list and drop Vulcan because at least the way he was using him, I don't I don't actually know if he was bringing that much to the table. Right that. at that point, you're hitting and wounding almost 100 percent anyway. Yeah, and so it's it's a little overkill for for his cost. So, all right, well, can we can we talk about a few elements of your list? I've got some questions. Sure. Can Can you walk me through what you use the blade guard for? Right. So they look pretty and they're good at sitting on objectives. So that's that's usually that's usually was what their job was was the objective sitters on my back line. Um, occasionally, uh, they would kill a few things when stuff got close, but they spent the majority of their game just chilling on whatever objectives were were near my near my deployment zone. Yeah, and I suppose it's a relatively small investment, right? Um, for something that's probably very durable for its points, and I suppose outriders fulfill can fulfill that role as well only on your opponent's objectives right like because they can get out there and and get their similar sort of uh sort of role that was the one thing that i that my list didn't have and i still don't have when i'm revising it is it's you know not all the scenarios have objectives but a fair amount of them have like one in your deployment zone so i kind of like uh i would like to be able to have something that sits on the objective and feels like it contributes to the game still um i just haven't been able to work that quite into the list yet have you considered any indirect fire type things um i know i've used a salamander scorpius and i'm very happy with it pretty much every time i've tried it yeah so i i've i've tried working it in the list um i think i think some of the like uh i I, the grab devs are too good to not take right now especially in salamanders because they're basically the best you know tunes of eradicators is is too good not to take i feel like and then the problem at that point is i'm now spending the equivalent of two cp just to get the scorpius and i feel like salamators have so many good cps you're going to want to be using that do i do i want to limit myself it's it's crossed my mind i just haven't i haven't tested it i keep going back and forth because i just the way the way i was playing the rest of the list you know being so potentially cp you know star not starve but spending so much on strategic reserves uh, on certain games it just felt like i was going to be you know starting some games with like four cp if i did that yeah so. that's totally fair no i'm in a very similar spot when i'm trying to build marine lists or harlequin lists and it's like i just want to be one battalion but i run out of slots and yeah it makes so a lot of choices that's that's something i gotta tweak some more you know and the, and you know the one thing I, i'm i'm kind of going back and forth on a little bit you know and i which I said earlier, I really love the three-man aggressor squad of the sergeant, but then part of me is, you know, and it, and, it, and I like the ability to get the free plus one to wound, um, but I'm I'm going back and forth whether if I did play pure salamanders and, and took some of their stuff, then maybe I can tweak a few things, and at that point, I'm not spending 
the extra CP just to get the minus one to wound relic. And I don't really need the feel no pain. So if I were to play pure salamanders, it starts to become a little more possible to do like a, a double patrol and, and get, get that Scorpius in there. Cause I do think the Scorpius would have been very useful in certain matchups. Yeah, I definitely, I like the salamander Scorpius a lot. I, I definitely recommend trying it at least, but I understand your, your quibble one, you know, that fourth heavy support spot is now also two command points in addition <laughs> yeah. to whatever it costs. That's that's a big pill to swallow. But I think I think specifically with, uh, especially like you look at um, some of the big meta people right now, which we'll talk about. But I think against the meta that's kind of forming, I think that is probably going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. All right, so I've got a question. Um, this is more for our newer players, but. Can you guys break down why salamanders are doing so well? Because, I mean, there's a lot of marine chapters, right? There's a lot of flavors of power armor, but it seems like in 9th edition, salamanders have really bubbled to the top. And I'm kind of curious if you guys could kind of break that down, why you think that is. Sure. You want to go or you want me to go, Nick? Well, you can take it, and I'll just add my thoughts in this if I need to. So I think salamanders kind of flew under the radar for a couple reasons in 8th. Uh, specifically, I remember looking at the book with some of my friends and we looked at it and looked at it and looked at it. And I even played salamanders in eighth, trying to make them work, uh, like I thought they should work. I took uh, double termites with 10 stern guard in each one of them. And it was, it was okay. And it, it, it kind of got there, but, uh, not enough to justify it. But the, the problem we always said is, you know, they don't have a good way to get their flamers in range. So now they do between successors and strategic reserve. Uh, but they also salamanders. I feel like they like the, they're not great at the long, you know, they're not going to sit back and just blow you off like Imperial fists or some of the other, or, you know, kind of iron hands or some of that. They're much more of a, a short range army, uh, shorter range army, but their stratagems that they have access to, like their stratagems are what I feel like, especially now after the nerfs to some of the other books, uh, you know, they have on-demand plus one to wound on anything in their army. Uh, like Born Protectors is a very, very good stratagem in ninth, especially with how Overwatch or the lack of Overwatch works. Um, you know, they just, they have a, a plus one save stratagem, kind of, it's a, a little weird, but, you know, they just have very good abilities for the current meta and kind of gameplay, so... I think, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. Additionally, I'll just kind of preface this with salamanders do everything Marines do better than normal Marines. Like, they don't have their own shtick, like White Scars doing advancing and charging and the Iron Hands being five of Hilo Pain, the army. They don't do their own thing. They just do what Marines do better. Everyone gets more rerolls than they should. Always kind of stationary is an amazing strat. Plus on the wound is an amazing strat. And then... Your flamers just hit harder than flamers should. Your melts just hit harder than melts should. Your grab pod is the best grab pod because of the two strats I just mentioned, stationary and plus one a wound. You just combine your resources to make better units than all the other chapters, and that's the idea. It's ultimate efficiency. Yeah, just you know, even on the grab pod alone, the plus one to wound against you know most higher toughness things, it goes from a give or take a 50% to a 75% successful wound, which is insane. You yeah, know. like a salamander grab pocket, like one shot a night. Like, yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. I I brought mine out down in, and I it, the math isn't too far off for it, but you know I dropped it in, killed two exocrines, you know, and killed a I think killed a falcon and killed half killed a wraith seer. You know, it, they 
they come down and they they hit far above their weight class. Um, now we talk about this a lot in relation to the grav pod. It brings along this drop pod, which can become a huge liability versus armies say like Harlequins that can just trap it in combat or your sisters, something like that. How did you manage the pod? Was that a problem for you? No, uh, most of the time the pod, like I said, would I'd move the captain up, you know, fourteen to twenty inches, whatever it was, and and drop the pod right there. But you know, shortly behind the pod was the rest of my army. Uh, so if somebody wants to go and trap it in combat, it didn't really it didn't really bother me too much. So I, I even a lot of my some of my games I just would drop it on an objective. And to be totally honest with you, uh, I don't actually know if my pod I think my pod only died in one game off the top of my head. So there's there it's one of those things where if, if people wanna, you know, go and tie themselves up with it, I'm not too fussed about it. Or if they want to shoot at it, I consider that a win because they're not shooting at the rest of my army. Right. And it's like nice you can put on an objective and just be like, yeah, this is annoying. Yeah. Yep, that's that's what I did. And whenever I could, I would drop it on, make sure I dropped it on an objective to to be in the annoying spot and force the opponent to to have to kill it if they wanted to get over there. Gotcha. So let's, uh, John, do you have any more questions about kind of the list choices or anything like that? No, I, I kind of think I, I got it. Let me just uh, break it down really quick. It's basically an MSU list that makes good use of master artisans, has a couple haymakers that come out of strategic reserves. Um, that allows, you know, basically you're playing the game to set up a situation where you cripple your opponent with an alpha strike, only it's not an alpha strike, it's like a beta strike, right? But you can set it up through strategic reserves. Um, you also force them to play in a way that you want to because you have the threat of the grav pod um, and then all this stuff that can come in from reserve and, and absolutely uh, basically take anything off objectives. So it allows you not to, like, it allows you to play uh, a game of attrition without sacrificing the ability to, you know, without losing on primary super fast, right? So a lot of a lot of times the attrition armies that I've seen in ninth edition so far kind of don't do a good job of like being across the entire board, but your your army is all over the board and also like threatens a lot of the objectives. Did I get that did I break that down about right? Yeah, there is probably one thing, I don't know why I totally first based on it, but probably one of the biggest things about my army that I felt like it caused people a fair amount of headaches was uh, if you look at my list uh, and then look at the secondaries, uh, you get nothing for there is no secondary you can pick uh, as far as killing my army that you're going to get points off of. So it's uh, I don't know if you guys have played against custodians, for example, but it's it's very annoying to pick secondaries against them. You know, you end up picking, you know, you can pick uh, raise the banners and engage in all fronts. But then that, what do you pick for that last one? You know, it, it puts people in a an awkward position where they're picking something they're not used to or picking something that they're not familiar with. And I think, I think that also lets the list shine because it, it just for, puts your opponent in a weird spot. They don't really like to be in. You didn't find with all the small units that people could play attrition against you. I, most of my, most of my opponents um, didn't have much of an army left to attrition after I brought my stuff on. Yeah, <laughs> what, what I've seen with Salamanders or just Marines in general, they'll, they might give it up once or twice early, and then the other guy's dead, and it's no longer a factor. Yeah, so it's, it's the, and that's kind of, it kind of goes to that point where, you know, a, a Blade Guard veteran is a threat to, you know, it'll, it'll put some wounds on a knight if you play a knight, but, you know, it's everything in the army will do damage. Uh, so if somebody's taken a couple transports or something like that, you know, that that might that might slow me down, but I'm gonna get through that and 
It just, am I going to get through it quick enough? And generally, yes, I feel like so. Yeah, that makes sense. So I do want to transition towards secondary. So I'm glad John steered in that direction. What secondaries do you typically go for in this list? What's your, how do you play the primary? What's your general strategy with the list for the mission? So uh, primary wise, I, I basically will, on the ones where I don't, I don't overextend myself. Let's put it like that. I just will make sure I can pick up my, I, you know, on my five or 10 points uh, for the first turn or two. Uh, or excuse me, turn two or turn three, and then try to score big on the remaining turns. But I, I usually don't, I'm not going to just put my blade guard on, you know, or, or my outriders. I, I really won't try to suicide them onto objective if my opponent's just going to easily be able to pick them up. So I'll try to make sure I can overwhelm the board or I'll just wait a turn. So there's a lot of, a lot of my games where I didn't score too many points on turn two because I was just waiting for my reserves to come in and, and then push out onto the objectives and start scoring after that. Um, and secondary wise, I think, uh, I generally took engage in all fronts, but on, on that note, not a ton of my games, I was actually scoring, you know, three points until later in the, later in the turns, um, and, or raise the banners. I, I think in my final game, I, I put the raise up on two objectives and just made sure I held those all game for 10 points. You know, I wasn't trying to be overly aggressive, um, in, in that sense in a lot of, in a lot of the ways, but just be conservative and and it, it kind of helps i can do that because usually when i'm playing against somebody they're having to pick you know raise the banners or engage or or all of those things that uh you know they're not taking uh what do you call it what's the new big game hunter um bring it down they're they're, they're not picking bring it down against me so they're not able to they're not maxing that out by killing my stuff they're not you know they're not maxing out assassinate versus me they're not doing all those other ones so they have to do all the you know, deploy scramblers. So they pick that and they're only getting 10 points. So I don't have to worry too much about being outscored on secondaries, if that makes any sense. No, it does. You're you're not trying to max out your score. You're just trying to, your opponent can't really pick much against you. So you don't have to max yours out. You just have to. Yeah, I just kind of have to keep pace a little bit with them. And, and I don't know if, if you watch the final game, that's kind of what I did. I just had a, I knew that I just need to weather the storm and outlast and score my points at the end of the game. And, and usually it would work out or, and a lot of times they just didn't have an army left, so I'd score, you know, rack up the score on turn three, four, five. So, but it was it was playing that kind of, uh, I don't want to say a passive early game, or a lot of my games uh, was just my turn one was basically a lot of times just my drop pod, and then wait till turn two when stuff can start coming on. I mean, Nick, Nick and I we have this conversation a lot with good players, and, it, and I'm glad to see the theme continues in ninth edition, and that is the patient player is the better player typically, right? If you play the game patiently. Um, you'll find the game comes to you more naturally and, and then you have your opportunities to win without overextending, without... The game isn't like a, a slapdash rush to win the game. I mean, you you have to play a game with a certain tempo, but it doesn't have to be like a Blitzkrieg in mm-hmm. order to be good. And and I think you can, you know, I think you can build a list that Blitzkriegs, uh, but a lot of the people that try it, um, if you do that, you need to go all in, I think. And a lot of people that do it don't. You know, they'll, they end up feeding you, feeding you their army piecemeal. And that's why it never really works out. So. Yeah, definitely agree with that. It's very hard to play like aggressive properly. Awesome. Well, uh, John, did you have any other questions you want to ask Dan before we hop into part two? I know we kind of covered it, but have you thought about replacing the scouts with intercessors or like any of the other, you know, or maybe some infiltrators, like 
Have you given consideration to changing some of the other elements of the list? Were you like, were you happy with the scouts? I guess would be a good question. And then, um, is there anything else you might consider swapping out? So, despite the, uh, you know, massive pile of primaris, you know, troops that I have, I really don't like them. Um, and I talk, my friends know I talk uh, quite a lot of shit on infiltrators for their point cost, and I just I can't. I agree ra- so hard right now. I would rather I'd rather have 50 points. Uh, I'd rather have 50 more points for something else. And even even an incursor, even though I think incursors are okay, I would rather have 35 more points uh, for something else. And even to a point of assault intercessor, give me 25 more points. I, the the survivability of that stuff and the and the amount of killing power that it does, um, it just doesn't give me the cheapest uh, troop option I can take. Is the way I I view it. Because if somebody in you know especially uh with some of the new stuff coming out of some of the, the lists i've been seeing where people take three infiltrators uh for example uh, my first reaction is if you drop those to scouts you'll be able to take uh almost two of the new atvs coming out so it just that's i the scouts are 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 here to stay for now maybe when the new update comes out and the new book comes out with whatever they're gonna you know make us buy old marines again uh that'll change but for now i don't think uh i can justify i at one at one point one version of the list did have incursors in there and then i found a way to to make use of that points better it just took a little longer so sorry i was muted um i was gonna say you basically took the words out of my mouth i pretty much always think that especially with the new indominus stuff making just marine units very strong now just random squads for the sake of it Mm -hmm. it's very good i think you're almost always better off shaving the points in your troops to take another unit of stuff every time. Yep, I agree. This has been a pretty cool talk about Salamanders. It's an army that really a lot of people I don't think understand, which uh, is totally understandable because like you said, they've been underrepresented and they were kind of hard to play and figure out and crack the code. And 9th edition has given them a lot of love with the shorter tables, their long-range marksman tactics, the flanking to deliver their flamers, as you put it. Um, they're really coming into their own, which is exciting to see. They're one of my favorite chapters. And uh, they are dominating, as Mr. Damaris said, not just Dan Salmon's here, but also abroad, uh, Alex Harrison's cleaning up shop over in Europe. So uh, I'm excited to talk about how you plan on handling all the kind of meta armies that we see coming mm-hmm. uh, over in part two. Here's, here's a quick question for you, though. Um, do you think white scars are better than salamanders? This is the question, isn't it? So we'll definitely be discussing that. Personally, <laughs> personally, I do think scars are red and salamanders, but I think oh, it's also... You've been drinking the Lenin Kool-Aid? Oh, I, I'm here <laughs> making the Kool-Aid with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but I think uh, maybe we'll have we'll talk about salamanders versus white scars in, uh, in part two. We'll definitely cover that matchup. Sure. So something to think about for all of you non-patrons. Get some saucy stuff in there. Speaking of Patreon, if you guys are not a patron yet, I don't know what you're waiting for because now we're getting hard and heavy into ninth edition and you're going to want to get the information that comes out in those second episodes. Like the first episodes are always a great value. We always have great discussions and learn a lot, but the devil is in the details for optimal play. If you really want to be a, a major winner, you have to understand how to play the matchups, which is what we'll cover in part two. So patrons, we'll see you over there. Soon to be patrons, we'll see you over there. Everyone else, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you found us on the Frontline Gaming Network, which is really turning into a really cool place 
to find a lot of great podcasts about competitive play. Uh, 40K Stat Center is back, which is just an, an amazing cast. And then obviously Pablo and the boys. They've got Brandon Grant on there and uh, Scary and among some other really, really good players. Um, signals from the front line, all that fun stuff. Okay. We'll see everybody over on the Patreon. Otherwise, peace and love, everyone. We're out. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.